morning, church. It really is good to be with you. Um, I was driving on 93. You know, right when 93 and 293 make that split, I went under the easy pass. The car started shaking. I saw a part, like a metal part, fall from my vehicle. I could see it in the rear view, and all of a sudden, all the lights went up on my dash like a Christmas tree. I couldn't steer. I was lucky the brakes worked. I was able to coast into like the next exit and put it into a parking lot. Pat, thank you for picking me up. Here we are. On, um, it was a few weeks ago, on Saturday, November 25, which was the Saturday after Thanksgiving, I was at home with my daughter. Uh, we wanted to play a board game. And it so happened that she requested that we play the game of life. We pulled the game out from the, you know, our cupboard, closet area. When a bunch of emergency vehicles, cop cars and ambulances screamed past our house, their lights lighting up our living room, they didn't keep going. They stopped just a block from my house. Now the red and blue lights sort of filling up my living room. We sort of questioned what was going on, but we took that game of life and we sat in the dining room and we started to play. Maybe 15 minutes later, my phone started to buzz and to ring. And I picked up my phone and I looked at it. And there's a text saying, Hisham has been shot. Now, Hisham is the relative of my dear neighbors across the street. He's from Palestine. And he, two of his friends, uh, were visiting Hisham's family over the Thanksgiving holiday. They just had dinner with Marion, his grandmother. And they went for a walk outside, and they didn't make it more than a block from her house and, truthfully, my house, when somebody stepped out of the shadows and shot them all at very close range. Tassim was shot in the stomach. Kanan was shot in the glute. But Hisham, our friend, he was shot in the hand and in the clavicle, and he is now paralyzed from the waist down because of a bullet that is lodged in his spine. The very next day, I took Hisham's cousins, Matthew and Merritt, and my daughter, Willa, to go get air, which is the name of the trampoline park in Williston. On the car ride there, there was anxious talk in the back seat. I could see these three eight-year-olds in the rear view. I could hear their conversation. And it went back and forth, sort of anxious talk about Hisham and what had happened. Who shot my cousin? Why would they do this? What's a lockdown? They were also making some of the funniest jokes you've ever heard about Santa Claus. These kids in real time were coming to grips with the fact that we all live in the midst of a beautiful and broken world. And you could hear it in that conversation. Talking about the shooting making jokes about Santa Claus. But I also detected in their joking their, this childlike grasping for something light and lighthearted in a dark and painful world. There's a new church planner in Portsmouth. His name is Jeremy McKean. And at a sermon that he gave to our presbytery a couple months ago, he preached about hope. And he talked about hope as this anchor that we're all putting out into the, a deep and dark sea. And we're looking for something to latch onto. 
something that we can hook into that's going to transfer the strength of what we're hooking into, that will transfer the strength to our little ship that's sort of adrift in a dark and stormy sea. Is there anything that we can hook into, latch onto, that will give our life strength and poise? And that's what these kids were sort of doing from the back seat of my car. They're putting down anchor. They're looking for something. In the midst of all the pain, in the midst of all the sorrow, that could give them stability in a world that felt really shaky and uncertain. Kids do it, but we do it too. We're all just grown-up kids in this room. We're all walking that same line. We're all navigating the same tension. Aching and longing and hoping. The passage that we're going to look at today speaks into that tension, speaks into our darkness, speaks into our need for hope. It's a word, I think, of brutal honesty, but it is also a word of deep and profound joy. So let's listen in to God's word together. Let's turn our attention to Isaiah 8 and 9. We'll start at verse 8, 21. We'll read uh, through 9, 7. This is what God has to say to us today. Begins, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for calling us together. Thank you for giving us this word, for not leaving us in the dark. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for giving us this word, this holy scripture, but thanks most of all for giving us the word made flesh, to whom all these words point, your son Jesus. We ask now that by your spirit you would illumine our hearts and our minds. Help us to see what we need to see. Help us to hear what we need to hear. And help us to receive and to believe what you want to impress upon us today. 
We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, today is the third Sunday in Advent, which is, as Matt said, this time of year when we focus our hearts and attention on God's promise to come and to be with us and to save the world. And let's be honest at the outset. Our world needs saving. Isaiah 8 was written, first of all, to Israel in the 8th century B.C., but it is also very much God's word to us today. This is what it feels like to live east of Eden. These initial verses. Again, while written to an 8th century audience, B.C., there's something very timeless about these words. This is what it feels like when you turn your back on God and you make anything or anyone else the center of your life. This is how you will experience life on planet Earth, east of Eden. He says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. Isaiah is talking about this feeling of never being settled. Always on the lookout for the next best thing. Uprooted and restless. Distressed, anxious, fearful. You might be fearful of calamity, but also fearful of missing out. Hungry. Never satisfied. Hunger is not just felt by those who don't have enough. Americans are some of the most obese people on the planet. And they're some of the hungriest too. We are fat, but we are unfulfilled. For all of our wealth and privilege, we experience a pervasive sense of emptiness. God says, and when they are hungry, they'll be enraged, and they will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. Because when everything we're trying to fill our lives with doesn't satiate the ache that we all have inside, we become hangry. We become hungry angry. We're angry at the new thing that didn't change our life like the advertiser said it would. We become angry at our spouses who didn't solve all of our life's problems. We're angry at our politicians who, like the advertisers, make fantastic promises but they don't deliver. And we're angry at God too. There is so much anger, so much blame, so much finger-pointing. And when we do this, all of the problems are out there, never in here. They'll look to the earth, looking out there, not in the mirror, but behold. Distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. There is so much pain and misery that is induced by our sin and they will be thrust into thick darkness. In Isaiah 9, 2, the prophet talks about the people walking in darkness. Have you ever walked in darkness? Have you ever, like, walked in a, maybe a really dark room? I'm sure you have. It can be a little nerve-wracking. As he takes one step after the other, like, what's out there? What am I going to bump into? What am I going to step on? Walking in the darkness is painful. After kissing my kids goodnight and turning off the light, I find myself stepping on Legos or bumping into a rocking chair. It hurts. In the dark, 
and walking in the dark. We hurt ourselves. But in the dark, others hurt us too. Again, just think of Hisham and Tassin and Canaan walking on my street in the dark of night and a neighbor of mine coming out and shooting them. Why is there so much darkness? The first words out of God's mouth in the Bible are, let there be light. And God makes a good world. And it's full of light and of love and potential. It's full of peace, shalom. Which is not just the absence of conflict. It's everything necessary for flourishing. That's where things are at in the beginning. So how did we get here? We've turned off the lights. It's maybe the most simple illustration of all. If you disconnect a lamp from the wall, the light that was on it goes out. And we were made to be connected to God, to be connected to the source of life and light and love, and to as beings connected to him, for that life and light and love to radiate out from us as his image bearers, out into the world. But we have pulled away from him. We have disconnected ourselves from him. And the result is darkness. Darkness in us, but darkness around us. And in the dark, darkness sort of multiplies. We step on things, we step on others. The hurt just sort of grows. We recognize that we're in the dark, perhaps. We're all sort of dropping out anchor. We're looking for some sort of light. Maybe sort of like people in the woods with like a lighter that's trying to find something that will get a fire started something that we could illumine up our lives or sort of draw some warmth from. But all of our enlightened solutions don't work. They fail to yield the results that we're looking for. In Isaiah 8, the solution that was proposed is not let's go to God, but let's go to mediums and necromancers. If you open up your Bibles, you just read one chapter up, the, the solution is not, let's go back to God, let's go and consult the dead. The occult. Let's consult the dead on how to get life. How stupid is that? Let's find a word of instruction from sort of these magicians that only chirp and mutter. Isaiah says that's insane. How are you going to get life by talking to the dead? How are you going to get instruction from people who just chirp and mutter? It's interesting. You might think that's an old-fashioned way. It's not. In 2022, just last year, in an NBC News article, uh, we learned that witchcraft, which includes Wicca, paganism, folk magic, and other New Age traditions, is one of the fasting-growing spiritual paths in America. Right? Apparently there are more witches in the United States than there are Presbyterians. 
Again, you might think that's insane. You might look down on that. Isaiah does. There's reasons to cast, you know, to, 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 to heap shame on that pursuit. But we do all sorts of things. Even if you're not, like, looking to the occult to sort of bring light to our situation, you are looking for something, right? Maybe you're looking to the stock market, thinking, like, this is where I'm going to find life and light. This is where I'm going to find something that is going to bring stability to my life. And Isaiah would be like, that's insane too, you know. How can you find stability in something that is constantly up and down? That's foolishness. Or maybe you're, you're looking to politics, you know, like, or some sort of ideology, thinking like, this is the way in which we're going to find life and light. But you realize, like, they and the pundits are just licking their fingers and holding it in the, the changing winds. That's stupid. Maybe you're looking to technology, thinking like, oh, we can engineer our way out of the mess that we're in. I, I think it's funny that in Isaiah 8, Isaiah talks about these necromancers and their mediums that only chirp and mutter. And how it just reminded me a lot of Twitter which before it became X was the symbol of this bird, a chirping bird. That mutters, that just spreads rumors. You know, here was hailed technology that was going to usher in a new era of democracy and world peace, but instead it's become this thing that, this, that spreads disinformation and division. Far from spreading light, it spreads rumors and contempt and hatred. And this is exactly Isaiah's point. There are all sorts of things that we turn to to lighten up the darkness. Whether it's the occult, or technology, or drugs, or diet, or vacations. But disconnected from God, none of these things will satiate our hunger. They will not satisfy our longings. They will not stabilize our insecurity. They will not save. Period. Disconnected from the source of light, we will live in perpetual darkness. But it is into this context, this scenario, this world, not just the world of the past, our world today, that this message is given. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. These verses reveal a great reversal. Instead of darkness, we have light. Instead of doom and gloom, we have joy. Verse 3 is bursting with joy to the world. But where does, this, where does this joy come from? This is super important. The light that is scattering our darkness away and bringing joy to the world is not a light that originates with us. This is not us flicking that torch or that lighter finally getting something to light. 
No. This is light that comes from the outside in and shines on us. I think for some, for many of my neighbors, Christmas time is a time to try to focus on the good things in the world and to ignore the bad. Sort of turn up the volume of the Christmas carols so you can drown out the sound of the news. Let's wrap things up in paper and let's pretend, even if just for a day or a week or maybe a month, that the world isn't so bad. But you all, that is reindeer games. When we rejoice at Christmas time, it is not because we stuck our head in the sand or we put on some tinsel or some rose-colored glasses or drank too much eggnog. It's because we have right here this message of salvation. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. We who live in a land of deep darkness, on us the light has shone. The light is coming from the outside in, or you could say the outside on. Our hope and joy is not someday, maybe tomorrow, that human beings will sort of get their act together and figure it out. That is not our hope. That is not what we're latching into. Our hope is this, that the light is not emanating from us, but the light is shining on us. Something, someone from the outside is coming in and shining on. And this message has very strong salvific overtones and undertones as the next verse, verse 4, makes clear. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his presser, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Yoke, staff, and rod, all of these words belong to the semantic field of slavery. These are things that weigh down and beat down and oppress. And that is exactly what our sin does. It weighs down, it beats down, and it oppresses us. We need help. Right? We need rescue. And God is saying, help is on the way. But the help that is going to crush the yoke and the rod and the staff and that is going to cast the darkness away is going to shock you. It's not because this, this thing, this one, is going to be this overwhelming force. Instead, it will show up stripped down and vulnerable and weak like on the day of Midian. Isaiah here is referencing the book of Judges, chapter 7, when Gideon, the weakest of his tribe, and his pared-down army of 300 men defeated the entire Midianite army with a trumpet in one hand and a torch hidden in jar of clay in the other. Our salvation is going to come to us like that. It's going to shock you. You might not see this coming. This is an amazing present, but in a small package. Well, the one to save is great, and I want you to listen to all the terms that are used to describe him. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
nothing less than God himself is actually coming. Mighty God, everlasting Father, like the one coming is divine. But this Savior is going to enter in small. Again, stripped down, vulnerable, weak. Not showing up on a cloud, wielding a weapon of war, but as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The light of the world hidden, as it were, inside a jar of clay. This totally outside-in, unexpected salvation is a gift. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The message that we're looking at today is a message all about joy and hope. It is, of course, a message of salvation by grace. Salvation by gift. And Isaiah 9, 1-7 is also talking about salvation by zeal. Look at verse 9. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What is zeal? Zeal is great energy or enthusiasm. Which is to say, God is not a reluctant giver, but a joyful one. For God so loved the world that he gave. Right? God is a gift giver, and what he joyfully gives us is his beloved Son the light of the world, Jesus, a name that means God saves. Those who dwelled in deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And I'd like to end on that note. If we are in the dark and God is giving us this amazing gift, this unexpected salvation, by grace, by zeal. How are we to receive this gift? How are we to receive our king? Well, to get the gift of this child, we ourselves must become childlike. In the dark, a lot of us are afraid. My daughter, Willa, sometimes calls out to me from her room because she's afraid. She's afraid of maybe something she senses in the dark or has felt in the dark. And when she cries out to me, Mom, Dad, I'm scared, we hear and we come to her aid. It is okay for us as grown-up kids to cry in the dark. That's what kids do. We haven't graduated from that. The world is a dark and scary place. To receive the salvation, I think we need to get in touch with that part of ourselves. For us to not be shy about crying out, I'm afraid. I'm hurting. The world is hurting. We need help. Because the problem is too big, and it is too heavy for us to handle. So let's start there. Let's start with our need and with the honesty of our fear. Let's admit, too, that we don't have all of the answers, that we don't have all the solutions. 
Let's admit that the solution, frankly, is not up to us or in us. You know, children, by nature of being children, know that they don't have all of the answers. They think adults do, and it is a shock and a pain for them to discover that they don't either, that the adults in their life are really just bigger kids. We are ready to receive this salvation when we humbly admit that we don't have all of the answers, when we come to the end of ourselves, even the end of our knowledge, and even our skill. And finally, we need to come and receive this salvation open-handedly. Because I love my kids, I give them what they need. And they take, and they take, and they take. I give my son, my daughter, food and shelter. My son is only 19 months. He gives back in return poopy diapers and lots of messes in the living room for me to clean up. And I say that half-jokingly. You know, I love him, we love him. But you know what I'm talking about. Kids receive and they receive and they receive some more. And when we grow up, we start thinking that to make things right and ourselves right, we need to start doing and doing and doing. But the gospel says stop. Salvation is a gift. It is not something that you need to earn, but it is something that is given to you. So come in your fear and in your humility and in your emptiness and receive what God has to offer you this Christmas. Within a week of the shooting on my street, I was back in that same living room with my wife, Megan, and Willa, our eight-year-old. That living room that was lit up with the blue and red lights of the cop cars just outside our window was now dark, except for the small candle that we lit in the darkness. It was the first Advent candle. It was a reminder to us in that living room of God's outside and shocking salvation by grace and by zeal. As we lit that candle that night, we taught our daughter that what was going on in the street out there is precisely why we needed this light in here. That shooting on our street did not spoil the Christmas season. It showed us something, that this is exactly why we need Christmas to happen. This really is what Advent and Christmas is all about. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them, indeed on us, the light of the world has shone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as kids, as we come to you as our kids. We pray to you as Father, we come to you as children, your children, adopted into your family by grace, by zeal, thanks to Jesus. And we cry out in pain. We cry out in humility. And we come to you empty-handed, asking that you would bring your light into this world and into our lives as we sort of put out anchor and we look for something to latch onto that will give us strength and stability in a scary and chaotic world where we latch into you and your promises, which are all yes and amen in Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your son. We give you our thanks and praise. In Jesus' name.